heaven and exalt all earth, break forth the mountains into singing. Uh, joy, uh, certainly we need joy in our lives. A joyless life would be a sad existence, almost unimaginable. But I wonder whether you feel like me sometimes, at times, when you look around the world, when you look at your own lives even, it's quite challenging and confronting to find joy in this broken world. The ongoing civil war in Syria that has taken more than 400,000 lives, still counting since 2011. The ongoing threats of the nuclear war with North Korea, a countless number of children dying from starvation all across countries in Africa. Uh, what joy in this broken world. Uh, closer to home, you look around, and I've been finding a growing number of marginalized and the homeless and lonely in our city. Increasing problem of rampant sexual immoralities, gambling and alcohol addiction, even among the youth. Uh, will this world ever be saved? Then you look at the churches and thought it would get any better. The Guardian News reported about the Anglican denomination this week uh, with the headline title, The First Same-Sex Wedding in British Anglican Church Deepens the Divide Among Anglican Communion. Churches distorting the teaching of God's word, churches becoming marginalized in countries like Australia, or churches being fiercely persecuted in Asia, Middle East, and Africa. What joy in this broken world? Will this world ever be saved? Uh, then there is the brokenness of my own heart. Uh, I've been Christian all my life, as far as I can remember, and I've been involved in full-time Christian ministry for about 10 years or so, but heart that still struggles with sin. Heart that is still broken and covered with anger, resentment, pride, lust, and greed. Uh, the Bible tells us that the brokenness of this world and my and your heart is a result of what the Bible calls sin. Our rejection and rebellion against God. Sin is so serious as we can see around the world, the things that I've mentioned, that, that's how serious, confronting, and sad sin is. And so long as the problem of sin is not addressed, there will never be a lasting joy in your life, in my life, and in this world. The brokenness of this world is too deep, too severe. It is too confronting so as to, at times, take away all our abilities to live with joy. I think that's what uh, the Israelites who lived during the prophet Isaiah's days have found. They would have found. They, they would have found it difficult to sing for joy because as a result of persistently, willfully rejecting God, they received God's just penalty for their rebellion. And their world was completely broken. Their nation was enslaved under the rule of Babylon. Uh, their temple, you know, their, uh, their churches, uh, it was torn apart. Their ministers uh, were slayed. Their people were poor, not only physically but spiritually. They were absolutely discouraged. They were absolutely without hope. 
Surprisingly, in today's passage, and ever since uh, we have been, uh, uh, Isaiah has turned the chapter around in Isaiah chapter 40, God's obedient servant in Isaiah 49, whom you first met uh, back in Isaiah 42, declares that there is now a reason to sing for joy. Uh, There is indeed a right cause for people from all over the world and indeed the whole cosmos to rejoice because the Lord has comforted his people and the Lord will have compassion on his afflicted through his servant. There is a reason for joy because God has acted to save his people from their sins through the work of his servant. And we're going to hear uh, the servant speak today in chapter 49. Uh, I I think verses 1 to 6, the servant speaks, and it really is a gospel according to the servant of the Lord. And then in verses 7 to 12, we'll see God replying to what the servant declared and confirming the gospel according to the servant. And as we listen to the uh, gospel according to the servant, we will see how God has saved us from this broken world and our broken heart through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ that we find in the New Testament. And in seeing Jesus, I pray that this morning, God's comfort and compassion will fill our hearts with joy. Look at verse 1 again. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Uh, The speech begins by calling for the widest audience possible. Oh, coastlands, uh, people from everywhere, you must listen to me. Uh, Whatever this news is, it has relevance for everyone and everything under heaven and earth. This is a significant news. It's it's a gospel that has worldwide relevance. Uh, Even for those who will hear this news in the remotest islands of Australia many centuries later, because listen to me. Uh, In the book of Isaiah, and and I think, in fact, throughout the Old Testament, no one else addresses the world like this by declaring, listen to me, other than God himself. We see God addressing the creation like this back in chapter 41, verse 1. Uh, Then how is it that this speaker addressed the whole world as God would only address it? Uh, It seems as if that there is such a close relationship between this servant and God that this servant can stand in for God, almost take God's authority as a creator to himself and address the world on his behalf. In verses 7 to 13, uh, later we'll see that God, confirming all that this servant speaks, uh, it's almost as though God agrees with this servant that the world should listen to him. It reminds us of that incident at the transfiguration when the voice from heaven said to Peter, John, and James, listen to him. After calling, uh, calling on the audience, the servant elaborates his relationship with God in the following verses. We keep reading in verse 1. The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother he named my name. Uh, the servant has a commission. Uh, God had a plan for this servant before he was yet born into this world. Uh, he was set apart by God. He's commissioned for a particular work. He's personally named by God. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, name is more than a label. Uh, when the person is named, especially by God, uh, that name often reveals their function and their role in God's big plan. Uh, the Western culture used to have similar things where people's surnames identified their role and function uh, in the society. Uh, surnames like Baker, Fisher, Gardner, Potter, Taylor, Clark, and so on. It, it revealed what they used to do. Uh, this servant's name will be spelt out only uh, later in verse 3 as Israel, as uh, we'll look in a moment. But this servant uh, bears more than the name of Israel. Already in Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 7, we have met someone who was set apart by God even before his birth. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it's only seven centuries later when an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and declared in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and God names him. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As we'll see more clearly in today's passage, and uh, as the servant song uh, develops all the way in Isaiah chapter 53, we understand the serve commission that he receives from God is the work of salvation. It is to save his people from their sins. Now we look at the servant's activity. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. The servant is equipped by God. He says, God made my mouth. Look how, how many times that's repeated. His hand hid me. He made me. In his quiver, he hid me. It emphasizes God's personal care and preparation for this servant's activity. In particular, God molds and shapes his mouth. The servant's activity, uh, unlike uh, a activity and rulers of the nations, which is done through literal sword and power and brute strength, it will be profoundly a ministry of the word. If the servant has been commissioned and set apart to save the world, he will not save the world by uh, starting off another world war. He is going to save the world and accomplish this by his word. Like a sharp sword, his word will be effective, penetrating the thoughts and intentions of man's heart. Uh, like a polished arrow, it will even hit distant targets, perhaps people from distant lands. It is no surprise then, when we open up the New Testament, we see that fundamentally, Jesus' ministry and activity was preaching the word. When Jesus came into Galilee, he declared, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When the whole nation came after him, marveling at his miraculous healing, because he healed many, he said to his disciples in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, let us go on to the next towns also, that I may preach there, for that is why I came out. 
Like a sharp sword, Jesus often exposed the thoughts and intentions of evil men. Like a polished arrow, Jesus taught with truth and authority. And some people turned away from Jesus as a result, as they could not bear their wicked heart, their broken heart before God that needs forgiveness being exposed. They turned away from him. But to those whom God gave eyes to see, like the Apostle Peter, when everyone was turning away, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. John chapter 6, 68. Now, we look at the servant's identity. Verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Uh, If you will remember, Israel was the name of Isaac's son, Jacob, before uh, that name became a national name. At Bethel, Jacob received the name Israel, meaning God strives for him. God chose Jacob to fulfill his plan to save the world. Because God made that plan to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. But the nation Israel consistently failed to live by God's word. It's one thing that we found out in earlier chapters of Isaiah. uh, Passages like Isaiah chapter 6. Hearing, they do not hear. Seeing, they do not see. Their hearts are hardened. Just like all of us who fail to live by God's word perfectly and consistently each day. Uh, But by this time, the nation Israel is simply not capable of living up to what it means to be Israel. They they cannot fulfill God-given role to bring God's blessing to all the world. They are scattered in exile as a result of God's just punishment upon their sins. Hence, they are in need of regathering, as we see in verse 5. They are in need of salvation just like every other nation, and just like you and I. So what is needed is a new Israel, a perfect Israel. And that is what this servant now becomes. The servant is the new representative and a new substitute who stands in for Israel. He is what Israel was meant to be. He will fulfill all that Israel failed to do, and God will ultimately be glorified through this servant. Once again, this is exactly what we find when we follow the life of Jesus in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, 17, Jesus comes and declares, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, all that the Israel failed to do, the unfinished story of God's promise, the unfulfilled story of the law and the prophets, Jesus, the one true Israel, came to fulfill it, and indeed he did. He prays that God's name be hallowed, glorified, sanctified, And in his ministry, God was indeed glorified 
as in Matthew 15, 31. When the crowd saw Jesus' ministry, the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, as they witnessed the work of salvation, Matthew says, they glorified the God of Israel. Matthew 15, verse 31. In another gospel, the Apostle John tells us that as the hour of his crucifixion drew near, Jesus prayed this way in John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I have come. Father, glorify your name. Jesus manifested the glory of God, the beauty of God. What is the beauty of God? Grace and truth like no other gods was manifested in Jesus' ministry, his life, his submission to God, his death for the salvation of sinners. Now, back in Isaiah, suddenly uh, we we see a very uh, strange shift in verse 4, what I might call the servant's disappointment. Look at verse 4. But I said... I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. The servant laments that his work has borne no fruit. His strength was wasted like vanity. All the hard work is put in, yet there is not much to show for. It tells us that the servant's work is hard work met with opposition and resistance. Once again, when we turn to the New Testament, Jesus' ministry was always met with hostility and hardness of heart. Matthew tells us in chapter 11, verse 20, uh, that Jesus began to denounce the cities because even as Jesus taught with truth, performed many miracles promised in the prophet Isaiah, people would still reject him and even accuse him of healing by the power of the demon. Jesus was frustrated at times by the lack of response from the crowd, but also at the slowness of his disciples. Remember that as Jesus is preparing to drink the cup of God's wrath, some of his closest disciples come and ask him, Jesus, when your kingdom comes in power, please put one of us at your right hand, one of us at left hand. You foolish people, Jesus said. But look at how uh, Matthew chapter 11 ends. If you're there with me, in verse 25, Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. Uh, Even as he was disappointed, somewhat, Even as he was despised and rejected by many, Jesus submitted to his Father's will. He did not lose heart with the immediate disappointing results, but he trusted to Father. He trusted the Father to fulfill his plan to save the world. Uh, Wonder sometimes in ministry, you feel like that sometimes. All the hard work is put in. You chase up, follow up, welcome the newcomer, share the gospel, pray for them, and sometimes there's nothing to show for. You pour out your life and energy and everything you've got into your growth group, and at times, only discouragement follows. 
Well, we see that Jesus entrusted himself to God's will. He knew that in God's own timing and in his wisdom, God will vindicate the work of his servant. God will bring out the fruit that he sees fit. I think it was Apostle Paul who also learned from Jesus and said, even as he ministered to the difficult Corinthian congregation in 2 Corinthians 4, yet we do not lose heart. I come back to Isaiah chapter 49, and that is exactly what the servant declares. The second half of verse 4, yet surely my right is with the Lord, my recompense with my God. The servant's response in the face of hardship is to trust in God. God is just. He knows what he is doing. He will accomplish his plan to save the world. He will not fail. He will not abandon those who trust him, especially the one whom God set apart to fulfill his plan to save the world. And it is Jesus, with this knowledge, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Please do it any other way if that's possible, but yours be done, even as he dropped sweats of blood. And indeed, what we see in verse 5 is that God is just, and God answered the faithful prayer of his servant. Look at what God does for him, verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved for Israel. When Jesus first came, that's the first he did. He went and proclaimed to the tribes of Israel, to the Jews first. Yet, in verse 6, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Well, the whole need, whole world needs his light. This broken, sinful world needs his light. The nations, every single one of them need his light. Australia needs his light. I need his light, and you need his light. And God will exalt this servant to bring light to the whole world. And Jesus came and declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. He is the light that reveals God's character and his plan to us. He is the light that illuminates the darkness of our hearts and starts to transform our hearts to follow God and listen and trust his word. He is light. He lights a path for men and women from all nations to be reconciled to God into fellowship once again. Exactly how the servant will deal with our sins will be more thoroughly explained in Isaiah 53. But already here in Isaiah 49, verse 1 to 6, we see the saving work of Jesus Christ in the words of God's servant. Now, in the rest of the passage, we hear two short speeches from God. Did you notice uh, the structure of 49, 1 to 13? So the servant speaks from uh, verses 1 to 6, and uh, verse 7 starts with, Thus says the Lord, and verse 8, Thus says the Lord. 
It's almost like the servant at first speaks for God and God's glory in the first half of chapter 49. Then God replies back to the servant's speech and God speaks for the servant now and his honor in the second half of chapter 49. A servant speaks for God, God confirms the servant and the old nations and creations called up in this magnificent gospel and later in verse 13, we rejoice at what has happened. I look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves or bow down before him or worship him. Uh, Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you, he will be worshipped. Verse 4 alluded that the servant will be rejected by many. Here, we are told in more details, it's advanced a little more, that the servant will be despised, abhorred by many, uh, most likely by those who rejected him in verse 4. His ministry will be one of suffering and rejection. But whatever despising he faces, that will not be the end. God confirms it. God will honor his servant. He must suffer many things and be rejected by many. But afterwards, he will be raised up. He will be exalted. He will be worshipped. He will be glorified. And the exalted servant will be a covenant to the people. Verse 8, what is a covenant? Covenant is a pact an agreement made between two parties upon some promises and obligations. In the Old Testament, God, after saving his people and giving them privilege to be his people, gave them the Ten Commandments and the signs of circumcision and the Sabbath for the Israelites to keep. And that fulfillment of covenant will either keep them to inherit blessing from God or they will receive punishment for being disobedient to the covenant. But now, there is a new covenant. The servant is himself God's covenant for his people. In other words, the servant will constitute God's people. Your relationship with the servant will determine whether you become God's people or not. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he said to his disciples, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. All who turn to Jesus Christ now becomes God's people because he is God's covenant to people from everywhere. And this new covenant servant will reestablish the land In other words, he will remake this broken world. And this is, again, what we see Jesus does. He comes and declares the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He will replace these demonic, beastly kingdoms of the earth and replace with the kingdom of heaven. And at the end of this human history, he promises that he will make all things new. Revelation 21, the risen Lord Jesus 
the risen, now exalted, glorified servant declares from the throne room, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And this new servant who will reestablish the land, he will pastor, protect, and guide his people all along. Look at verse 10. It is a complete image of protection. He will protect from every inner failure or of strength, like hunger and thirst. He will protect people from starvation. He will provide for them. Uh, He will protect us from every outward threat, like the scorching wind and the sun. He will guide his people with compassion. Uh, I I think the word pity in verse 10 is better translated as he will guide, he will lead with compassionate heart. He will be one who will sympathize with his people. He will be the one who will rule people with mercy. Again, When Jesus Christ came, he saw the people. He saw people living in this broken world uh, with a broken heart, and he had compassion on them because, as Matthew puts it, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without shepherd. He looked at them, he pastored them, he taught them, he led them gently, and he said to them, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you a rest. Take my yoke upon you. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And at his word, people, all sorts of people from all kinds of places have found new light, salvation, and a reason to sing. We see a foreshadowing of that reality that we now witness uh, backwards in verse 12, looking forward. Behold, people shall come from afar. They'll come from everywhere, from north and the west. Even unknown places like the land of Australia now find God's salvation through the work of the servant. So, brothers and sisters, what joy in this broken world? What joy for my and your broken, sinful heart? Well, the servant says, and God says, there is a cause for joy. For all who are heavy laden, all who are downcast, God says, listen. The Lord has comforted his people. And all who turn to Jesus, the Lord will have compassion on them. In Jesus, God has spoken. The broken world will be fixed. And it has already started. God's remaking of this broken world is already started as we come to hear his word. Sinners will be saved by the work of his servant. 
He is saving people unto himself from every nation. And he will provide, he will pastor, he will protect, and he will guide his people into his kingdom. And at the end of history, it doesn't look like it now, but at the end of history, all nations, kings, rulers from everywhere will bow down before him. And his glory will be revealed when he returns. Now, can you see what Isaiah saw? Did you hear the gospel according to servant? Did you hear God's confirming word that he will accomplish this? Then let us sing for joy, joining with people from all nations, joining with heavenly angels and with whole creation, saying hallelujah, hallelujah, salvation, glory and power belongs to our God and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen.